This is D2C Journey. We talk to innovative e-commerce leaders driving the growth of exceptional D2C brands. We dive deep into their stories to bring you powerful perspectives and actionable insights so you can build a more successful e-commerce business. Keep up with us at d2cjourney.com. Let's get started. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Dacia Lutova, and my guest this week is Nelly Jaludar, founder of Bundleboon, a curated shopping service focusing on kidswear. Bundleboon has grown leaps and bounds in the four years since its founding and is now a breakout brand in the D2C apparel space. Nelly, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Great. First question, how would you describe where you are on your D2C journey? Um, we're more in the growing phase now. We're trying to grow as fast as possible to really get the Bundaboon brand out everywhere as much as we can. Brilliant. And uh, you've been quoted as saying, I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> so uh, can you tell us how you went from being a sales associate for Pandora to building one of the coolest businesses in the fashion industry today? Well, you are very correct. I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> I think the reason why I became an entrepreneur was because I met the right people and I got the right motivation from those people. I was lucky enough to start working for a startup in here in Amsterdam, founded by uh, two very hungry and young entrepreneurs, uh, men, both of them. <laughs> and they basically took me under their wing and, and taught me everything about entrepreneurship. And I think the hunger that they had and the mindset that they had uh, basically going through so much ups and downs throughout their entire entrepreneurial journey really inspired me and really made me realize it doesn't really matter the type of background you need to have or the type of skill set. As long as you have the right idea and customers that want to buy your product um, and you have a great work ethic, then that's all that matters. So I was like, hey, if those two can do it, <laughs> so can I. So, uh, so yeah. And what was the spark of insight that led you to making Bundle Boon instead of, you know, another idea, another business? So uh, while I was working for the startup, which basically did what we do now for Bundaboon, but then aimed for men, um, they weren't able to scale it as big as they wanted to. Um, even after years of trying, they were still not profitable. But working so closely with them and seeing the successful stories and successful um, competitors that were in the U.S., I, I kept telling myself there must be something that, you know, th that that's missing. And so the more research I did, the more I saw that there is such a big gap when it came to, to kids wear to then find out that it's the fastest growing uh, segment in the fast fashion industry. I mean, it was just a no brainer for me. Also the fact that there is no personalization in online retail for kids wear. Um, yeah. I mean, it made me think maybe there there is a demand for it. Nobody has just ever tried when it came to kids wear because it's such a safe category. Nobody wanted to touch it. Um, so so I gave it a go and turns out <laughs> it worked. <laughs> it worked out good for you. <laughs> yeah. So tell us, um, where are you today 
in terms of your D2C journey and what were those key milestones from founding the business in, it was 2017? Uh, officially 2018. Officially 2018. Yeah. Right. Um, well, for almost two years since we started, we bootstrapped. Mm. We bootstrapped everything. Um, it wasn't until we got our first first big investment where we were like comfortable with going all in. We had uh, a product that worked. Uh, we knew that our customers loved it. Um, and we built an incredible team behind it. Um yeah, and that was just an indication for us that now it's it's time to to take all the learnings that we got throughout the throughout the journey and really go all in now. Um, so we're a bigger team. We're a team of fourteen people, um, including myself and my co-founder, and that's all we need. Unlike other personal shopping services out there that have 200, 300 employees on the payroll. We just need a handful um, because we work in a great system that allows to do the work for us. I would say the biggest milestone for us was definitely being featured on the Dutch version of Dragon's Den. That was an incredible proud moment for us because one, at the time we needed the money. Two, we knew the amount of exposure that the show would give us. And three, we were just first-time entrepreneurs showing up and pitching to these dragons, not knowing what to expect. And then we walked out with a deal of half a million euros. And that was such a such a big moment for us, for sure. And it was during COVID, by the way. So <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was such a great moment. And that I think that was an indication for us that we are doing a good job and we don't give ourselves enough credit. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you win those first few customers in the very early days? Well, actually, one of the things that the two founders taught me was to never quit your job <laughs> to become a full-time entrepreneur unless if you have a product or service that you know there's a demand for. So that stuck with me. So instead of just quitting my job and thinking, hey, Bundaboon is going to be a safe bet, I did it as a side hustle for a couple of months. So in order to prep for the actual launch, uh, I needed to know how many people actually wanted or if there was a demand for my type of service. So I did a pre-launch and within a week and a half, I got 150 pre-orders in. And it wasn't as if I was surprised. I was just in shock that, <laughs> that you know, these people actually wanted it. And it was simply reaching out to my network, who reached out to their network, who reached out to their network. Um, so that's basically how I tested it. I did it alone for a few months. And the bigger my side hustling got, I knew that I needed a co-founder because I had zero experience in inventory, purchasing, merchandising, none of that. I'd never done that before. So I was like, hey, where's the best place to find a co-founder that has those skill sets? Was at a Amsterdam startup weekend. And we ended up being in the same team for whatever reason. And um, yeah, she basically has the skills that I don't have. And here we are. Amazing. That's like you met your business soulmate just at one weekend. <laughs> For sure. We're completely different people, but at the same time, we have the same mindset. We have the same work ethic. I guess opposites do really attract. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, to kind of circle around to your growth, you mentioned that hitting that 10,000 customer milestone was a huge deal for you. Yeah. Why was that 10,000 number significant? When we started, obviously, we didn't know how big this was going to get. I mean, we're not in multiple countries. We're in two countries. But in our eyes, we're, we're relatively big now. When we started, we were like, okay, what are the goals that we want to achieve? What defines success for us as entrepreneurs, as a team, as you know, the concept that we are? And one was that people came back for second, third, fourth box that people were satisfied with our service and that we would hit 10,000 customers. And we did that in less than two years. And that was incredible. And to be honest, sometimes we do look back at the 10,000 customers and we tell ourselves, how did we actually do that? Because we bootstrapped the whole thing. But yeah, as soon as we hit the 10,000, we're like, okay, what's our next goal? <laughs> <laughs> it's legit now. It's happening. It's legit now. Now it's <laughs> happening. Exactly. Yeah. So in those first two years, as you say, you completely bootstrapped the business from the beginning. So what would you say were the advantages of doing that over trying to get early investment to scale quickly? Um, we, I mean, we made a lot of mistakes during the bootstrapping period. And that made us stronger, not only as founders, but it made us stronger as a team, but also it turned our concept into something that our customers really, really want. So I think instead of splurging out on a whole new system or website during that stage would have been a completely big mistake because in theory, do you actually know what the customers really want until you test it? So our theory was test, 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 and it shouldn't. we shouldn't change anything until we actually know for a fact that we need to change it to, to that certain thing that the customer really, really likes. And um, in those early days, what were the most important things that you did invest your money and your resources on? Team. Team. At that time, we didn't have a system that could do the work for us. We didn't have enough data. Um, it didn't have that advanced features that would literally allow us to use, you know, algorithm as, as the output. Um, so for us, hiring the right stylist um, was key. So we would rather spend our money on hiring the right people and get a bigger return on investment in terms of better KPIs than spending a lot of money on advertisement, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was what we spent the majority of our money on, for sure. The right people. Right. And it, it has paid off. Brilliant. And um, how did you find those right people in those early days? What does that process look like for you? We searched via LinkedIn for certain stylists, but also through our own network. I was lucky enough to work for a personal shopping service. So I obviously knew a lot of people there. We even found one of our stylists through the old team uh, that I was working in. Um, But other than that, through network. And uh, how do you think about capital allocation today? Has it changed as you as you've been growing as a business? <laughs> yes, we're we're a little bit more bold now. <laughs> um, we dare to take the risks. I mean, we want to grow very fast. We have certain ambitions now, 
And because we are in the growing phase for us, we have the mindset or like, okay, if we put the money here, or we put extra money uh, here, then for sure, there's going to be a bigger return on investment um, at the end of the line. So, uh, so we're for sure a lot more bold than we were before. Cool to have that, um, that power to be bold and to have like try new things and experiment. I think you have to be confident and that it will work. Mm. It's great to take risks as a founder, as a startup founder, you have to take risks, but it has to be calculated risks, <laughs> educated risks, <laughs> educated risks. Yeah. Brilliant. And, um, we were talking a bit about success and what success looks like. Did you guys have specific metrics that you were tracking in the beginning and have you changed up what you're tracking now in terms of what metrics are measuring your success? The kept rate is definitely one of them. Um, so the amount of uh, money that a customer spends with us, um, the retention rate, obviously, we're going to live off of our returning customers in a few years. So having a big pool of those is is very key. But also the service that we provide. Like for us, it's really important that people walk away thinking this was the best thing they've ever done for their kid. That having a stylist is not a necessity. It's a luxury. It's a lifestyle. Um, so that's for sure uh, success for us. But at the same time to also, and that's more successful founders, I guess, to also um, have people in the team that will learn from you. I was very lucky that I learned a lot from the people that I worked for. I mean, it inspired me to become an entrepreneur. And if I can do that for a person uh, in the team, then that's enough for me. Brilliant. Yeah, and um, retention is absolutely so crucial, especially with subscription models like yours. What tactics are you guys using to keep those customers coming back? I can give you an indication of how we did it before. It was very manual. Like we would literally have each of our stylists sit there with their WhatsApps and reaching out to every single customer that they have. Um, you know, bootstrapping also meaning learn your, get to know your customer, right? Really get to know who they are, what they like, create that specific bond with them. As we grew and we're moving over to a new system, that entire process has been automated. So we're working more proactively instead of us, you know, constantly reaching out to the customer. We let the customer come to us now. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's how we automated that process for sure. Very cool. Um, and what have you learned over the years about what makes e-commerce brands successful? That's a very good question. Branding, the brand marketing, like how you position yourself is very important. Um, I think a lot of e-commerce stores in general, they copy each other, not specifically uh, the product. Like you can have the same product, but if your branding is different, then the one with the better branding, the be one with the better positioning will for sure win. So it's really like aiming for the personalization and what the customers would want to see versus what you as a customer want to see as a difference. 
very, very wise words. <laughs> and I guess that's why you need that that testing phase in the beginning to just really figure out. Because our brand has changed multiple times. And it's it wasn't until recently we really found out who we are as a company and, and how we want to position ourselves. Mm-hmm. But that's also because of the feedback we get from the customers. And speaking of customer feedback and customers changing... Um, I don't know if you've heard about this pandemic thing that's been going on, (laughs) but um, have you guys noticed that customers are changing what they value and what they want from your brand? They want more from our brand (laughs) during the pandemic. Um, We were very lucky enough that the customers didn't leave us. In fact, during the pandemic was when we grew the most. The stores were closed. You could only shop online. And I think the way that we offer shopping to parents is a lot more convenient than going through the traditional e-commerce stores and going through all the filters and spending hours on finding the right outfit. So I guess we brought the offline and the online experience to their homes uh, with zero hassle. So, so yeah, we were very lucky that, that we escaped it. <laughs> yeah, better than anybody else. And how often do you collect that customer data? What kind of data are you collecting? We collect data to the point where we know exactly what the customer wants, like in terms of return reasons, style, sizes, like literally everything about the customer and everything about the child. Um, it helps us understand the customer for the second, the third, and the fourth box. And we also see that in our performance that with every single box they come back for, we perform better and better and better and better. Brilliant. And how do you use that data to, um, to adjust what you're offering to them? It's a very good question. So we basically take all that data, including the return reasons, including the, the kept rate and, and so on. And each product have, been tagged with a specific style. So that entire analysis is something that my co-founder Monique will take to each buying meetings and basically choose the selection based on what the customers want season by season, the type of style that they're looking for, type of color they're looking for, type of price range they're looking for, instead of just going with the guts of what we think the customer wants. And uh, it's definitely helped us. I mean, obviously, in the beginning, the first season where we had the company, we made a lot of mistakes. We bought a lot of stuff that customers <laughs> didn't want, but we also didn't have anything to work with. So the more data we've collected, the better we understand of, of the style that the customers uh, want. Yeah, brilliant. And in terms of entrepreneurship, you're seeing yourself as an entrepreneur, a reluctant entrepreneur. Um, how do you feel like you've grown most as an entrepreneur since you've uh, since you've started the business? Um, I definitely learned that I can do whatever I want. Um, I was not very good with math. I was very shy when it came to presenting something. I um, I, I wouldn't speak up when it came to certain things. I was not very fond of leadership. I didn't really know that I had passion for branding, but entrepreneurship really pushes your limit. Um, it also kind of prepped me for, you know, 
my personal life, like don't take no for an answer, right? Or don't give up. I'm pretty sure everyone has been through failures and a lot of people just sit around and say, hey, I failed, now what? But because you go through those paths as an entrepreneur, you also learn how to deal with that in your everyday life. So I never, I never hear no for an answer. And if I do, I just say, okay, I'm just going to do my own thing then. I'm pretty sure I can do it. <laughs> I think that's the mentality you need to have. There's, you can get hundreds of no's, but you're the only one that could turn it into a yes at the end. I think I need that on a throw pillow or something. <laughs> 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 on a poster. <laughs> no, so true. Don't give up, right? I Don't mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what's next for Bundle Boon, since you're obviously not giving up? <laughs> yeah, we're going to try and, uh, and test other markets. Mm -hmm. um, we're obviously moving into the new and improved system that we're building in Salesforce. So we're really, really excited about that. Um, and we're going to see if we can work on a private label. Ooh, exciting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that still early days? That's very early days. Um, it takes a lot of planning. We've never done that before. So it's also having the right partners involved. Um, we're very lucky that our main investor is the owner of a huge fashion group here in Holland. Uh, so he knows the right people. We can even you know, use their team if we want to. But we really have to make sure that we're you know, putting the right items uh, on the collection and, and that it's something that our, our customers would want us to produce. That is so exciting. That's yeah. like a whole new, whole new wave, <laughs> a whole new world. Completely, completely. Mm. But we're really excited. That sounds super exciting. And where do you feel the roadblocks are going to be to achieving that vision? I think time. Time and money, for sure. <laughs> oh, just those two. If we, if we just get those two right, um, and yeah, anything is possible. Yeah. We have a great team. So, I'm, you know, that is not a problem. Yeah. Time and money. It's all you need. Time and money. <laughs> Let's hope there's not a, now the pandemic coming up. And that should be fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll have it in our calendars if it does pop up. You know, the last one was very expected, apparently. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So yeah, speaking of getting out there into even more branding than you've done before, uh, what D2C brands have you been inspired by or jealous of lately? I love, love Stitch Fix. Um, basically, they are us, but at a much bigger scale uh, in the U.S., probably the most successful uh, personal shopping service they do it for women for men and for kids and they really prove to everyone that collecting data and using that to build a successful company is key you can have hundreds of people on payroll that would do the work for you but if you don't have the right data collected there's no way you can make it work especially in personal shopping service um, so stitch fix for sure and then I want to say, I have this really good friend that was my boss before. Um, he launched a very cool menswear brand called LabFresh. And they basically turned a technology into something incredibly cool. Um, the fact that they completely changed the way that men dress is unbelievable. And, and their brand is just on point. So 
um, I would say that's my second one. Brilliant. We'll have to bookmark all of those. (laughs) (laughs) Just go and stalk them. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. And um, what moment are you most proud of in your T2C journey with Bundle Boon? I mean, obviously the great milestones that we've had, but also to see our team grow with us. We've had stylists that never had a normal job before. They literally just came out of school or they've had part-time jobs or freelance jobs, but never something serious. The way that they just take on projects doesn't necessarily have to involve styling. It can be in customer service. It can be in branding. It can be in fulfillment, whatever. The way that they grew with us, it's that makes me very proud to see that they took other skill sets on them um, that they probably wouldn't have gone or gotten at a different company. Um, so I would say that. Mm. And um, when we were chatting earlier before our recording, you mentioned your least favorite question that you get asked in interviews, which is, what's it like being a female entrepreneur? <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about um, what that question brings up for you and uh, what what we want to talk about instead <laughs> with female entrepreneurs? Sure. I just find that question very stupid <laughs> because entrepreneurship should not be defined by gender. It should be defined by what you've done um, and what you've achieved. I'm pretty sure no male entrepreneur have been asked, what's it like being a male entrepreneur? You know, but it's because female entrepreneurs, the word entrepreneur associated with a female is just still very taboo. Nobody, you know, talks about it. If people think it's cool, but still majority of funding goes to men, not women. Um, It's the male founded uh, startups that are, you know, highlighted everywhere. Um, So for me to be invited for interviews talking about what it's like to be a female entrepreneur is just waste of time. I would rather talk about what it's like to be an entrepreneur and what I've, what I've achieved and, and what Bundaboon is and what we do. Brilliant. Well, I hope we've covered a little bit of that in today's talk. <laughs> yeah. If you could, kind of circling back to performance, if you could pick only one metric, we've talked about retention, we've talked about kind of keep rate, if you could pick only one metric for your business to improve over time, what metrics would have that biggest impact for Bundle Boon? Can I only choose one? Yeah, oh, it's man. like a kind of kiss, marry, kill situation. <laughs> I can't figure out if I should choose the kept rate or if I should choose retention. I, I think it would go for retention rate. Mm. because the more customers we have coming back to us obviously also means higher kept rate, more revenue. And we're going to live off of our returning customers uh, in a few years anyway. So I would say retention rate for sure. (laughs) Brilliant. Since we've been talking so much about journeys, our D2C journeys, uh, one last question before we wrap up. What is your number one travel destination? Now, does this have to be a country I've been to before? No, it can be dream destination or somewhere you've been. Oh, okay. That's easy. The U.S. for sure. The U.S. Why the U.S.? Just love it. I've been... Actually, it could either be the U.S. or China. Those are my two Mm. favorite destinations. China, because it's so different. Mm. 
and the U.S. because I can totally see myself living there. Yeah, I mean, you're just gonna be on like at Stitch Fix's front door, right? Just stop. Oh, 100%. Them, I just Stitch Fix <laughs> Trunk Club. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Nelly, thank you so much for being on D2C Journey with me. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Brilliant. It was so much fun. I've really enjoyed chatting to you and hearing a bit about your approach. Big thanks to all of our listeners. I am Dasia Lutova, and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.